God is so good. And you know what Lynn was sharing about VBS, there's, there's no small. God is so good. And you know what Lynn was sharing about VBS, there's, there's no small VBS. God is so good. And you know what Lynn was sharing about VBS, there's, there's no small VBS. Because all those 16 children gave their lives to the Lord and were saved, which is awesome. Every one of those children were impacted. Every worker was impacted. Each one of those children, each one of those workers represents a variety of people, a number of people. So literally a VBS of that size could touch thousands of people and will over time. So God is so good and it's so great that we have the opportunity and privilege to be able to be a part of that because, you know, we're here to reach people because not everybody knows what we know. Not everybody is aware and believes God's a good God and he's a loving God and he's got a great life for them. Uh, they've heard all sorts of things and believe all sorts of things, just as we believe all sorts of things. But how many of you know everything you believe isn't true? All right, I'm going to do this. Put your hand up if you believe everything you believe is not true. I'm looking for hands that don't go up because you are deceived. Because <laughs> we, we, we all have some truth, hopefully. We've got our opinions, which everybody ought to adopt, <laughs> right? We have our perspectives and our values and, and the things that we like and we think everybody ought to like. But we need to understand that there's only one. Because in our society today, in our world today, uh, they have adopted a perspective and a belief that truth is relative to you. We all have our own truth. But if I have a truth that you don't have and you have a truth that I don't have, somebody's going to have to change to adjust to the truth. And that's the reality. Whatever is true never changes. And that's why God never changes. God who created everything seen and unseen and His Word is the only truth that there is that we can depend on all the time. And that's why we have to know the truth. Because when you know the truth, what will the truth do in your life? Set you free. Last Sunday, uh, I, I did a little kind of mini encouragement before the message about how important God's Word is. God's Word, the Bible, is unlike any other book that has ever been written and how important it is and how, how true it is and how uh, long-lived it is. Uh, we, we don't have anything that we can reference. You know, we have great opportunity to reference all sorts of information uh, through the Internet that we never had before. But even with that, not everything you get on the Internet is true. Uh-oh, some of you are like, really? Everything on the Internet isn't true? Well, it's not. But everything you find in the Bible is. And you can be assured of that. And you can rest in that. And you can have confidence in that. And uh, we've been learning things that Jesus has taught to his disciples. Now, if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we're disciples or followers. And what Jesus taught that we're studying is out of John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, it was after Jesus was in the upper room. He had uh, had the Last Supper. He had told the disciples what was happening. He was headed towards the cross. And it was a really intense time. But they walked out of the upper room. They walked through the Temple Mount. They started down through the Kidron Valley 
that stood between where the upper room was and the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was going to pray and be arrested and then go through everything he did on the way to the cross. But as they're walking down through the Kidron Valley, this is the last time, Jesus knows it, it's the last time he's going to be with his disciples with some ability to address them and speak to them with some peace and the ability for them to focus. And as he's walking through the Kidron Valley, he stops. And he begins with this teaching that we've been studying. And it's about vines, a vineyard. And he's actually standing in the midst of a vineyard. He's got this moment in time that is the last moment that's peaceful. And he starts to look at the grapes and he starts to address the disciples. How many of you know that this last moment like this is a very critical moment to Jesus and he's not going to waste it? Yeah? Absolutely. And so what we learn from this is paramount, not just to the disciples, but to us, to today's disciples, followers of Jesus. And he starts out in John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, what we've been learning about is there are three stages of fruit bearing. Fruit bearing is very important to God. It's very important to Jesus. It should be very important to us because if it's important to God, then it should be important to us. And Jesus said these words. He said, when you bear fruit, you bring great glory to my Father. Is it important for us to bring great glory to the Father? Yes, absolutely. We should be doing that every day. And Jesus said, by you bearing fruit, it proves you're my true disciples. There were people that were following Jesus that weren't following him for the right reasons. They just, you know, it happens. There's a crowd that grows, and all of a sudden everybody's over there with the crowd to see what's going on. Doesn't mean they support what's going on, but they're there. And Jesus said, but this will prove that you're my true disciples by bearing fruit. He also said this. He said, this is what I have chosen and appointed you to do. Jesus has chosen each one of us and appointed us to bear fruit in this time in life. And the fruit is a variety of things. There's the fruit of righteousness. A good works are fruit. We're not saved by them, but we are created in Christ unto all good works. There's good, good works that are fruit that, that uh, reveal the character of God. The fruit of the Spirit is part of this fruit. There are a variety of things. And there's another part of fruit. When we are involved in helping people come to know the Lord and receive Him as Lord and Savior, that's fruit attributed to our lives and to others. But in this, we've been learning about how in this fruit bearing, it's a process. There are three main stages to it, just like there are, in, in naturally speaking, in a vineyard. And that's why God used that. Jesus used this to to have a word picture to connect to that was relatable because a grapevine is very similar to you and me. And you might say, well, I don't, I don't like that comparison. But, but here's how it's, it's similar. A grapevine is one of the most labor-intensive. It needs the most care, most attention of any fruit-bearing plant. Whether you know it or not, we all need a lot of attention. Because if, if the grapevine doesn't have a lot of care for it by the vine dresser, it'll grow wild and it'll stop producing fruit. 
And you know, we can grow wild and not produce the fruit God has. It's, it's, it's one of those things that we look at and we say, well, you know, I need to learn from this. And so the three stages are, there is a partnership between God and us. And the first stage is no fruit to fruit. And you can see that up there in verse 2. And, and what he does is God, it requires God, this says taking away. And, and it actually means to lift up. When it talks about taking away, it's taking the branch that has fallen down into the dirt and lifting it up and training it to stay high off the dirt. Because the dirt, number one, causes the, the vine itself to become sickly. And it eventually stops them from producing any fruit. So that first stage is no fruit to fruit. And we come into the kingdom of God, we receive Jesus as our Lord, and we don't have any fruit in our life, not any fruit of righteousness. And so God wants to develop us. And that fruit comes in this stage by God lifting us, lifting us up. And the way we found out God lifts us is he chastens us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, it says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord or be upset when he rebukes you. And naturally, we're going to think, well, you know, I don't like anybody chastening me, chastening me. But when we're chastened by God, we need to understand what that really means. Because we all have our reference points. We think, we think somebody's going to be there with their finger in our face and saying, you've got to stop doing this and this and this. And that's not God. God is love. And God has the best for every one of us. But this is a partnership. God can point to what needs to be done, but we have to participate. We have to choose to partner with him in this. And so this first part, when it talks about chastening, the word chasten means to educate, instruct, to mentor, to tutor, to nurture, to train, to correct, and to discipline. And that word discipline means to bring to a place of order and obedience. How many of you know when you, if you go to a new country, a country you've never been in, never exposed to, that there's a lot of stuff you need to learn? Because you can do some stuff that is not culturally correct, right? Well, we come into a new kingdom, and I want you to know it's a lot more different than going to another country. This kingdom is unlike anything of this world. It is in many ways the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world are opposites. Because the way we do things in the kingdom of God are not the way we do things in the world. The world says, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. The kingdom of God says, when you get what you are given, make sure to distribute it. It's more blessed to give than receive. So the kingdom of God is very different, and so we need to learn. We need to be informed, instructed, tutored, mentored, trained, corrected, disciplined, brought into a place of order with this new kingdom. And, and the way God does that is so important because we can think we know what the kingdom is like, but unless we know what the Word says, we'll never be sure of what the kingdom of God is like because that's what He's given us. And so this, this first stage, this is what he does. He points at sin, active sin in our lives, because we're forgiven. We come into the kingdom of God. We're forgiven and cleansed from all our sin. But how many of you know sin doesn't stop at that moment in our life? 
Some of us don't want to raise our hands. Because we know too well that as much as we become this new creation, like the Bible says, we're a new creation in Christ, some of the old ways continue on. We still are influenced by desires and habits that occurred before Christ became Lord. And left unchecked, they'll continue. And why? Why does God want to deal with the act of sin in our lives? Because he loves you. He loves you. He loves me. And what does sin, what does the Bible tell us the wages of sin produce? Death. He doesn't want any more death working in your life because Jesus came to give you life and life more abundant. And the moment I don't take care of sin, get rid of sin in my life, is the moment I minimize what Jesus can do in my life. We can't serve two masters. There are areas of our lives that we're serving sin, and there are areas of our lives that we're serving Jesus. And God wants to narrow that gap where we're serving God more than we're serving sin. But we can't do it on our own. God initiates it, and he points at it, and we have to participate in it and turn away from it. We turn to God, because when we turn to God to follow God, we turn our back on sin. But the opposite is true, too. When I turn to follow sin, I turn my back on God. But understand, God never turns his back on you. God is always there. He always cares. He'll never give up on anyone. And that's why when we realize, when God begins to make us aware that this is sin actively working in our lives, bringing death, we need to quickly turn away from it and turn to God and see him redeem and restore those things in our lives. And the second, second part of this is that we, we looked at is the second stage is when he begins to prune us or purge us. And that's not dealing with sin, that's dealing with self. The first thing he deals with is this act of sin in our lives because he has to. And we need him to. We should want him to. But the second thing he deals with is self, where that self-life. Who's supposed to be Lord of our life? Jesus. But we have lived our life with self-ruling, guiding, governing, choosing, directing. And, and now we need to put that aside because what that actually does is it contends with our living the lordship of Jesus because we're living the life of self. And, and in this time, he begins to reveal things in our lives that they're not sin. They may be okay. They may even be good. But what's happening is it's dividing our resources, our time, our focus, our love. And when it does... It divides our life. And we know what the Bible says. A house divided what? Will not stand. A kingdom divided will not stand. A city divided will not stand. But you know what? A life divided won't stand. It'll fall apart. And that's why God, God is not an egomaniac. He just wants the best for us. And that's why it says, Jesus said, deny yourself. Then pick up your cross and follow me. Because we can't follow what we want and follow what he wants because many times it's in opposition and, it, and many times it just distracts us from what's best and we don't always realize this but in Romans chapter or he, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 10 
Uh, it, it says this, while we were children, our parents did what seemed best to us, to them. But God is doing what's best for us, training us to live God's holy best. God wants the best for you. He's always wanted the best for you. That'll never change. And why God directs and corrects and does what he does in disciplining us and training us and teaching us and mentoring us is because he wants better for you than you've ever had before. And you and I don't know it. All we know is what we've had, but what God has for us is better than the Bible tells us what we can dream or imagine. And so we many times hinder what we truly want, which is best, because our affections are skewed. Our, our attention is skewed. Our allegiance is skewed. And we saw in Jesus' life how his life had a priority and a purpose that was so laser-focused. He said, I've not come to do my own will, but the will of who? My Father. He said, I've not come, I do everything that pleases my Father, not everything that pleases me. And I do everything that he tells me or shows me to do. I'm telling you, it looked like Jesus' path was that narrow. But that was the best path because when Jesus lived his life totally committed and obedient to the Father, who benefited? Everybody but the enemy. God benefited God the Father because Jesus was obedient to him. Then we benefited because Jesus was obedient to the Father. And he benefited because we became family. It's a win-win-win situation. The only one that loses when God has his way is the enemy, and he should lose. Right? As far as I'm concerned, I want him losing all the time. He's a big loser. But I want to enforce that loss by submitting to God and allowing him to have his way. Uh, verse 11 says, for no time uh, being... For the time, no discipline brings joy, but seems grievous and painful. And afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. A harvest of fruit, which consists of righteousness and conformity to God's will, in purpose, thought, action, resulting in right living and right standing with God. So we know that's true. When, when we're disciplined, when we have to make adjustments or changes, it's not always pleasant. It's not all, always easy. And sometimes it's even painful. And yet we need to realize that there is a way that we look at and we say, well, this is good. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs in two places that what we consider good or right ends in the way of death. And so we can't trust ourselves. When Jesus went to the cross, did it look good? No. Was it good? Did it look painless? No, it looked incredibly painful, but did it relieve the pain of others? Yes. And so there is a reality in the kingdom of God that I have to give up my life to God for my life to become a benefit to others. But when I do and when you do, then the blessing that comes from us being obedient to God overshadows whatever we gave up. And yet if you have never done that, you'll never know until you do it. And that's why the Bible tells us and encourages us it's more blessed to give than receive. If we lay down our life 
we'll be able to pick up our lives. But if we hold on to our life, we'll lose it. And so the kingdom of God is very different. And we learn the kingdom of God through the word of God. And the word of God tells us in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Because we have an idea in the world. And you may have it here. But I want you to see that if God's word is true, is God's word true? If something is in conflict with God's word, then we're going to either choose to believe God's word is true and reject what is contending with God's word, what is opposite of God's word. And there is an idea in the world that people are generally good. And I see where people have been good, but I want you to know what the Bible says about that. Because if we don't know that, then we're, we're tempted to trust ourselves. And this is what it says. Yes, I know that nothing good lives in me. I mean, nothing good lives in the part of me that is earthly and sinful. And there's an earthly part. We've been trained in this world by the world's ways. Those things still rise up, and we want to go the way that we've been trained. What's familiar? What's comfortable? What's, what's convenient? And yet, if it's contrary to God's word, we've got to be aware. We can't trust us, but we can trust God. We can trust God, the Father, God, the Word, and God, the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're going to get into this and just look at how this happens. How does it happen? We know that, that God lifts us. He disciplines us. He readjusts us to stay on a level that will allow our lives to bear fruit. And then He prunes us. He removes things that are not necessarily bad, but they're not God. They look really good, but what they're doing is robbing us from the best. And so as we do today, uh, God has a word for you. He wants to speak to your hearts, to your lives. We have to be open to hear what God has for us. You know, what, what God has for me today. And I want you to know, when I'm sharing, when I'm speaking, when I'm teaching, when I'm preaching, God's speaking to me and saying, you know, you just said that. What are you doing about it? And I get out of here and I'm like, okay, God. I know these are things I've got, to, I've got to address, I've got to take care of. And so that's the way God has for all of us because this is transformation time. God wants change for, for you to be able to go from glory to glory and never ending, continuing on. So let's pray. As you bow your heads, Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for uh, your participation. We don't know. And we admit we don't know. We don't even know what we don't know. But you do. And so today we rely on you. Speak to our hearts, our minds, our lives, our situations and circumstances. Help us. Help us to know the truth. Because that truth will set us free. Your word will bring healing and health and life. If we hear it and receive it. Your word will bring light unto our path. It will bring illumination. We need illumination in areas that we have to make choices of and revelation that will cause our lives to be transformed the way you intended. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for hearing hearts, whether they're here in the sanctuary in this building or they're online, that you would speak a word that is a direct word to them that would go deep into our hearts to help us change, to become more like Jesus today. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. So again, John chapter 15, verse 2 and 3, it says that we have these two stages where, where God 
lifts us and God prunes us, but how does he do it? In verse 3, it tells us. It says, you are already clean because of what? The word. The word which I have spoken to you. This is talking about God's word. And I want you to know that what God does is God will always use his word because his word will never change. It, ha- it is an opportunity for us to reference something that is truth that never changes. It's accessible to us and available to us, not like other countries. I want you to know I traveled to Russia years ago when Bibles were not allowed. And I smuggled Bibles in, me and some other people, and got them to a group of people that were very much separated from the general population. And when they saw that we had Bibles written in Russian, they were like, I want one, I want one, I want one. There weren't enough Bibles to go around, and we had big bags full of them. And as we went through customs, we were hoping they would not open these bags and look because they would have been thrown out and we probably would have been arrested. And so when, when we got to the place where the Bibles were being handed out and we got to the end of the Bibles, one of the things that we saw these guys do, and these happened to be hockey players, they began to look at one another and take the Bible apart. I'll give you this part of it, but I want it back and I'll give you this part when I get that part. The Bible was so precious, so valuable to them that they wanted to make sure everybody had some of it because all of them couldn't have all of it. But we in this country, we have so much available to us and it's become so common that many times we don't even make use of it until the bottom falls out, until the wheel caught. Come, wheels come off and, and, and we're having this difficult time. We, we try and get into the Bible to find out in the midst of the storm, what does God have for us? How many of you know trying to learn how to drive a ship in the midst of a storm is not a good thing? That's why we need to be studying the Word of God all the time. It needs to be really a priority in our lives. We have time for a lot of things. We have time to watch movies and do all these other things. And they're not necessarily depends on the movies you're watching, sinful. But how much good is the TV or the movie or whatever in relationship to what the Word of God would do if we were studying that? Now, I'm not saying you can't watch movies, you can't watch TV, you can do all that. But remember, the test is coming. And, and we need to be prepared. And if you've already prepared, that's great. Keep it up. But we need to know the Word. And the Word is so important. Psalm 119, verse 9 and 11 says this, How shall a young man cleanse his way? We live in a fallen world. There is so much sin that is trying to pull at you and get in you and get on you to trip you up and to cost you the very provision of God. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed and keeping watch on himself according to your word, conforming his life to it. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what God has for us, for our lives to become more abundant, more fruitful, more impacting, more effective, more influential in the lives of the people that we love because we want to help them get free of the stuff that is destroying their lives. And it's because of Jesus. Jesus is the one that sets us free. 
And then in verse 11 it says, your word I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we choose to put God's word in us, we have a ready reference point that when we consider doing something, Holy Spirit in us will access that word that we put in. And he'll remind us and say, yeah, I know you're about to do this, but this is what the word of God says. And then we have a choice. God initiates it, but we have a choice. Am I going to obey God? Am I going to deny myself? And am I, am I going to pick up my cross and follow Christ? Or am I going to go just whatever way I've always gone or what I feel like doing? And we get the payoff of whatever it is that we choose to do. But we've got to hide his word in our heart. Because if we don't have that reference point, if we go into a country that the green light means stop, and the red light means go, and we pull up to the, the intersection, and it's green, and we start going through, what's going to happen, possibly? Yeah, an accident. Somebody's going to get hurt. Because we didn't know what was right. We just referenced what we knew in America. But somebody else, listen, we can't reference living the kingdom of God by earthly rules. We've got to live by the kingdom's way. And the only way we're going to find that out is through the word of God. Or we're going to get in, into situations that... We never wanted to, but we chose without realizing it. And then in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, with promises like this to pull us on. Now, where do we find the promises? In God's Word. God has all sorts of promises, all sorts of provisions, all sorts of priorities. And it's not to limit your life. It's to limit the damage of sin in your, our lives. It's to cause us to experience abundant life. Pull us on, dear friends. Let's make a clean break with everything that defiles and distracts us, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives, that sounds like what God wants, our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. More passion and more passionate and more responsible. But we can't say yes to, to two things. We've got to say yes to one, which is in essence saying no to the other. And if I'm going to say yes to God, then I'll definitely say no to sin. But if I say no to, yes to sin, I'm going to say no to God. And ultimately, you and I choose. That's why this is a partnership we participate. God initiates in these two stages, but we participate. We're going to find out in the third stage, we initiate and God participates. But in these two stages, God initiates it. And how he initiates us is through the word. He helps us when we start to get the word of God in us, when we read and study and meditate and memorize the word of God. And that's not an easy thing. You know, for some of us, it, is, it was thought to be impossible in my life. I had proven over years and years through high school, through college, that I couldn't read a book and remember it. I didn't know I had a learning disability, but I seemed to have had a learning disability. 
And yet I knew that the Word of God said I needed to meditate on the Word. And the only way I could do that was write out what the Scripture said on little three-by-five cards, carry them in my pocket, put them above the visor in the car, tape them to the mirror in the bathroom. Wherever I was, I had these cards of Scripture. And I told God, I said, God, you said... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I need to be able to memorize. I need to be able to meditate. I need to be able to build your word into me. And I don't seem to be able to do it. And I remember just clearly recognizing that God was helping me understand, you got a choice. Choose what you're going to believe. What do you mean choose what I'm going to believe? I've already proven I can't do this. There are all sorts of people that have witnessed this and told me this, that I'm not capable. But your word says I can. So what is it? He said it's whatever you choose. If you want to choose to believe them, you're going to get what they have. If you want to believe me, you can get what I have. Which was so troubling to me. And I felt all this pressure. And God, God made me aware, you don't have to sweat it. I'm here to help you do the impossible. What everybody else thinks is impossible, what I know is possible. And it wasn't an automatic. It wasn't uh, magic. It took time, but it took me believing and working on it. And over the course of time, I've memorized hundreds of scriptures. Still looking to memorize these things, remembering what I'm reading. Now I'm getting older. I'm asking God to help me remember better. But with God, what's possible? Then why not? If with God all things are possible and all things are possible to those who believe, why would we not choose to find out what God said and believe the impossible to be possible. Because we have an impossible working God. And what better is going to show the people out there that don't know Jesus when he shows up and they don't recognize him and he does what he does in our lives and they all think, man, that was impossible. He could never have done that. But look what's going on. And it's exactly what happened with the disciples. They, they, the the wise people of their day and the people in the community said, you know, these are unlearned men. But they had been with Jesus. They were, they were astounded by the wisdom that came out of them. But it's because they had been with Jesus. If you and I spend more time with Jesus, the Word. You know, John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14 tell us the Word was with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, it says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. And who, who is that? Jesus. You want to know God? Know Jesus. When his disciples said, we want to know the Father, what did he say? If you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. And it should trickle down. If they've seen us, they should be able to say they've seen Jesus. But we got to know him first, and we know him through the word. We live our lives according to the word. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says, With promises like this to pull us, pull us on, dear friends, these promises pull us. 
There's a pull to sin, but there's also a pull to the, from, from the promise of God, from the Word of God. The Word of God encourages us and pulls us on into something better than we've ever experienced before. Because when your life is blessed, you can become a blessing to other people in a greater way. Then in James chapter 1, again, we're going through a lot of scripture, but we, we need to see that this isn't an isolated incidence. In James chapter 1, verse 22, 21 and 22, it says, So get rid of all uncleanness and the rampant outgrowth of wickedness, and in a humble, gentle, modest spirit, receive and welcome the word which imparted implanted and rooted in your hearts contains the power to save your souls the power to save your souls there's all sorts of things that are breaking us down and this says save our souls but that word save is the word sozo it means to deliver to protect, to heal, to preserve, to make whole. And I don't know anybody today that doesn't need those things working in their life. I need all of those things working in my life. But the only way that's going to be possible is for God's word to be working in my life. The stuff is not magic, but it is real and it is powerful. And then in verse 22, it says, be doers. Doers of the word, obey the message. And not merely listen to it. Betraying yourselves in deception by reasoning contrary to truth. Isn't that what happened to Eve? God had told her. God had told Adam. Adam told her that they couldn't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and she wasn't doing it. The next thing we find out, she's right next to the tree. She's looking at the fruit. And, and we need to recognize that we need to do what the Word of God says, not just read it and consider it, and if it makes sense to us, because a lot of times that's what we as Christians do. Well, you know, that makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. The kingdom of God isn't going to make sense. It's not going to be something that we grasp in our human thinking because God's ways are higher than ours. And that's where we have to, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with your whole heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Don't limit what God can do in your life to you understanding it. If that were the way we lived our lives, none of us would drive or very few of us would drive because we don't know how our car works. But we, we just jump in and go. I want you to know, God is more reliable than your car or anything else you have. And we need to, we need to rely on him. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word, the word that God speaks is alive and powerful, making it active, operative, energizing, and effective. It's sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating to the dividing line of the breath of life, the soul, and the immortal spirit, and of the joints and marrow, of the deepest parts of our nature, exposing, sifting, analyzing, judging the very thoughts and purposes of our heart. 
Now, when it says it's penetrating, there was a book that a long time ago, Jamie Buckingham, who's gone on to be with the Lord, wrote. He said, the word will set you free. That was the, part of the title of the book. But it went on in kind of brackets to say, but it'll make you miserable first. And it was true, because there are times you find out what the word says, and God's intention of that word is to make your life more abundant and more free, to be able to serve him and serve others. But it's, it's going to poke at us. There are things that poke at us. And God uses his word to pinpoint things in our lives. This is, this is not what I have for you. This is not good. This is not what I want. I know it's what you want, but what you want isn't good for you. How many children want candy and ice cream? Every meal. Right. And we're kids too. We want what we want when we want it. Whether it is good or not, if it feels good, I want to do it. We're, 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 we're not too far from kindergarten. And God is way beyond us, and he knows what's best. And he's always doing what's best for us. And this two-edged sword that begins to go down deep, and it divides, exposing, shifting, analyzing, and judging the very thoughts and purposes of our heart. Why is that important? Because there are all sorts of things we can do, and we've become masterful as human beings of doing things that look really good and really right, but not being that deep down. I'll give you some examples. We've had, in this church, we've had people come in, and, and you know, they're attending church, and we're like, oh, we're really glad you're here. How'd you get here? Well, we heard about you. We're here. And, and uh, they're real faithful. And, and is coming to church good? Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. But this was not good. The reason why this person came, when we finally found out and had to address it, it was like, well, why are you here? I'm looking for a wife. I don't want to look for him in a bar. And, and it was like, don't, don't be doing any hunting here. Because if you're not coming for God, you're coming for the wrong reason. We've had other people come. And in other churches that I've been a part of, people coming. Well, why are you coming to church? Well, you know, there's a lot of people there and God seems to show up. And later on finding out that the reason, the motivation for them coming to church was, well, there are a lot of people I don't know and they could become clients of mine. Oh, no, that, that does happen. Now, if you have a business, don't look to promote your business here, but look to help people. And if you can't do a good enough job for them, don't tell them you can. Oh, I'm getting way off this morning. <laughs> Somebody better pray me back on track. <laughs> But we do all sorts of things that look good, but the motivation, God doesn't look on the surface. Man looks at the surface of what's going on because we can't do anything else. But God looks on the heart, and the Word of God will pierce all the way down. And we may do, be doing some really good-looking stuff. I mean, we may be looking like, you know, Joe Christian, but why we're doing it is not right, and God will pierce you for that. He'll prick your heart for that. The Apostle Paul... He was persecuting the church. To the religious people at that time, he was a rock star. Man, he was the ultimate because he's coming against 
you know, the people that were coming against the church, they thought. And, and God got a hold of him. Had when they were stoning one of the disciples of Jesus. This man dying, being stoned, he says, Father, forgive them. Don't lay this sin to their account. In that moment, what he was saying is what Jesus would say, said on the cross. That pricked Paul's heart. Those pricks, it talks. When Jesus interrupted Paul, knocked him from his donkey. And he said, Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he said, Paul, Paul, why do you kick against the goats? Those are the pricks of the word of God in his heart. He couldn't get away from. There are pricks that are going to come to your heart and my heart where God's trying to help us understand you need to re readjust, you need to realign. The moment we don't do that, we begin this process of hardening our hearts. We become harder and harder to God. It's, it's like a callus that builds up. And we're less sensitive to God. We should be very sensitive to God. The last thing most of us want is any pain, any discomfort. But we should all want to be so sensitive that the moment we do anything that God doesn't like, that we would be aware of that. We would experience and, and be aware that that's not what God has for us. God looks at the intents of our heart. Why are we doing what we're doing? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 in the New Living Translation. Again, he says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. We receive all this by coming to know him. And how do we come to know him? By the word. That's right. And because of his glory and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. Where? In his word, in the Bible, that enable you to what? Share what? His divine nature. The way we become fruitful, the way we become more like Jesus is through these great and precious promises. It's not through us trying harder. We can try and try and try and try and try. And if we're not doing it with God, if we're not participating and partnering with God, it's not going to get very far. Because we won't get very far, but God will take us farther than we could ever dream or imagine. Enable us to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. Again, sometimes it's important to read these scriptures in different translations because it gives us a fuller understanding. And then in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, a little farther down, he said, For as these qualities are yours and increasingly abound, they will keep you from being idle or unfruitful. You know, we all want to hear at the end of this life, well done, good and faithful servant. If we're not doing what he has, we're not doing good and we're not being faithful to him. And so we need to, we need to look at our lives and, and course correct if necessary unto the full knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. The full knowledge. How do we come to know God? Through his word and through his spirit. But his spirit will always remind us of his word. And if we don't have the word, then we're operating on supposition. Well, I suppose this is right. I think this is right. I, I don't really know. But 
we can get ourselves in a world of trouble having that happen. And finally, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, because we continued to behold in the word of God. This is how this transformation happens. This is how we go from glory to glory. Because we continue to behold in the word of God as in a mirror. What, what do we use a mirror for? When we're looking in a mirror, what are we using it for? To see ourselves. Because we don't know, and there's another portion in James that tells us this, we don't know what we look like. We don't know uh, the dirt, the blemishes, the things that are on us. We have a perception of what we're like, but only God knows exactly what we're like. And when we perceive in the Word, we look at the Word of God, we come to that place, and we are aware of ourselves, but we're also aware of the Lord the glory of the Lord, and are constantly being transfigured into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. It's his word that empowers and enables and imparts to us what is necessary to be aware of the adjustments we need to make that we don't know, but God does, to become more like him. That should be the heart's cry and desire of every Christian that we become more like Jesus every day. And there is a necessity of the church, not this building but us, the church of which Jesus is the head of, to become more like him because he's coming back. Jesus is coming back, but he's coming back for the church without spot or wrinkle. And the way that happens is we begin to behold in the Word of God us and Him and we see the adjustments that we need to make to become more aligned with Him, to become more fruitful, to become less impacted and influenced by sin, to become more committed to Him than ever before. Because as we do, we start to have the impact on our family and our friends, our neighbors and our co-workers and strangers. And that's what we're here for. We're here to be witnesses. We're here to be ambassadors. We're here to be fruitful, to draw people to God and his kingdom. But that they would see it active and working and powerful and pure in our lives, like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, God will never force anything on anyone. He loves us, all people, too much. If he was going to force something, he would have forced salvation, that everybody had to be saved. He'd make them be saved. But because it's a partnership, because that's the way the kingdom of God works, because it's a kingdom of freedom, we have to choose to participate. He'll initiate just like he did. God so loved the world he sent his only begotten son. But he initiated what we have to participate. We have to recognize who his son is, what he did. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sin, to give us a pathway back to connect to the Father, to become again a part of his kingdom that he's always wanted us to be a part of. A kingdom of life and a kingdom of love. A kingdom of peace and joy. A kingdom of prosperity and health. But we have to choose. And this morning, if you have never chosen to 
to repent, turn around from you just running your own life and receive, recognize Jesus for who he is. He's the son of God. As the, John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we recognize that, but then we have another step. We receive him as our Lord. We invite him to come in and be Lord of our life. Being Lord is not just, I don't, I'm not going to hell. It means, literally, he's our master from that day forward. But he'll never force us. We need to live his lordship every day, every way. And if you've never done this, whether you're here in person or you're online, I just want to invite you and give you the opportunity to pray this prayer with us this morning. We're all going to pray together. It's not like we're going to just see you and make you pray it alone. We're going to pray together because it reinforces what we've done. It reminds us we've made Jesus Lord of our life. But if you've never done this, please, please, please join with us in prayer. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who lovingly left heaven, came to earth to fulfill your will and die on the cross to pay the price for my sin and was raised victorious from the dead and is seated at your right hand now. Heavenly Father, this day, I repent. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I recognize Jesus as my Lord and invite him to come into my life, be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. You are mine. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. <laughs>